Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Instagram at Braden B. Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan, and I'm also on Instagram at Adam Vingan, but it's only pictures of my son. So if you <laughs> like to look at my baby, you can follow me on Instagram at Adam Vingan. If you'd like to look at pictures of my baby, as well as other things about hockey and life and such, I'm on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Uh, if you'd like to read tweets about Kyle Turris, make sure you follow him at Adam Vingan. Pay for it good was journal- not a Kyle Turris revenge game last night, FYI. <laughs> I was very, I was very, I was very confident that it was going to be a Kyle Turris revenge game, but it well, was here, not. Let me, wait, wait, wait. Okay, this is off topic, but as usual with you and I, we do this. Wouldn't it really be a Kyle Turris revenge game against the Capitals? Why? Because the rivalry wasn't with Nashville uh, or the city or the team or the administration because David Poyle paid him a boatload of money. I see where you're going with this. Wouldn't it be a revenge game if he scored against a hat Peter. trick, a hattie against LaViolette? All right. So anyway, uh, pay for good journalism. Go to The Athletic. One of the reasons you get fantastic stories getting to know the players on your team, like the starting goaltender, on Wednesday night's loss to Edmonton, Connor Ingram and what he went through last year. Uh, Adam, as we've talked about in the past with Colin Wilson and Mark Borowiecki, the this has sort of become your thing on this beat. And I think it's a great story, really insightful stuff about getting to know Connor Ingram and his struggle through all of his own personal issues, as well as the pandemic. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. We've got a, you know, last week I kind of joked about the Preds ending the Chicago Blackhawks on the ice. Well, it's gotten like significantly worse off the ice. Even in that moment, I had not given it enough time. So we're going to Brad Aldrich's name. The guy in question, of course, who was like the centerpiece of all of this is now been, had his name X'd off the Stanley cup. Gary Bettman's refusing to ask questions. So we'll get to that a little bit later on uh, as well. We've got two major sort of historical pieces of news for Nashville Predators fan, Terry Crisp, Terrence, Arthur Crisp, is crispy is retiring at the end of the season so we'll tell some crispy stories a little bit later on and then peck arena's jersey is being retired bridgestone arena changing uh their policies all kinds of stuff so we got a ton of stuff to get to the four game winning streak philip forsberg's injury matt duchene's play yada 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 all right before we do any of that adam the gold standard is brought to you by jaspers yo Kiero jaspers <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, there's still an ongoing beef with Fringe Element. By the way, go check out Fringe Element. Stephen Godfrey still um, not happy with your Saints fandom, although he did admit it's entirely because he's a Falcons fan. Um, but you guys both have a very strange attachment to wrestling. You're you huge... buried the lead there that he's a Falcons fan. Yeah, yeah, he's a big. If Falcons you would have fan. told me that from the beginning. This would have made a lot more sense. Well, he's an objective reporter. I assumed he was being objective, and then he admitted it was like not objective at all. So. Well, so what he's mad about is the fact that my first game of official Saints fandom was against his Falcons. No, 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 no. They're just rivals. He just hates yes, the Saints. I, well, that I, that I know. They are very much, yeah. very much rivals. But, but see, you buried the lead there. That changes a lot <laughs> of everything that we've talked about. Oh, you think so? All right. Yes. Okay, okay. That'd be like somebody questioning my Duke fandom and then admitting, oh, I, I, I'm a Carolina fan. Uh, okay, that's fair. I, no, I, I, I agree with you, which is why I thought I would bring this new fact to light. Um, that being said, he covered pro wrestling like on a beat for a long time, and you are a big wrestling fan. I think we should hash this out in some wrestling form or fashion. 
because I think that would be the most entertaining thing for the product. Go to Jasper's. Maybe we could do it at Jasper's in the parking lot because you can park for free. I don't know. Go to Jasper's where I will cut a shoot promo on Stephen Godfrey. <laughs> I, the first time I heard a grown man use that phrase, uh, I did not know what it meant because I don't watch wrestling. Do you know what it means now? I, well, yes, but... So for those of you who are listening... Still not the first not, thing I think about. <laughs> I know. Go to Jasper's. But for those of you listening who are unaware of wrestling vernacular... A promo is obviously when uh, a wrestler talks. Whenever a wrestler does a segment where he's talking into a microphone, it's a promo. A, a shoot promo is a unscripted promo um, where they shoot from the hip. So I will cut a or a, there's also right, a but there's also a worked shoot promo where it has <laughs> stop, the, stop, where it stop. has. Hold on. Let me finish where it has the appearance of a shoot promo, but it's actually been scripted. So it's so, a scripted, unscripted promo. So wrestling. So yeah, wrestling. But got it. this this Falcons, this Falcons. No, no, no let me finish. Is a big deal. It's a big deal. OK, OK, OK. It's not it has not gone unnoticed, which is why I brought it up. But, 28 to 3, my friend. 28 wow, to 3. Wow. When I heard a grown man at my old job say I was going to shoot on him, I, I did not. It, it threw me off. I'm just going to say, case? of course it was. <laughs> of course it was. And he said it on the air. And I was just like, what? What are you talking about? And I had no clue what that meant. And I was really thrown off. All right. Anyway, go check out Fringe Element Podcast. SEC football fans out there. Stephen Godfrey always has something to say. He's an avid gold standard listener, so he's probably hearing this, and uh, we do appreciate his support. But go check out Fringe Element out every Wednesday, talking SEC football. We've got Lamestream Sports, of course, out every Friday, talking all things media in Nashville. And we've got Jim Wyatt from the Tennessee Titans on this week. So really fascinating uh, stories from the Tennessean beat for 20 years and sort of the degradation of um, you know local media. Der Derrick Henry's story, of course, being broken by the national media. The local media got beat on that one again. And uh, so Jim Wyatt's got a lot to say about a lot of things. And of course, the 440 out every single morning. Check all that out. All right. Preds win four straight games. And last time we talked to you, they were sort of in the middle of that. They just gotten started. They come back and they they beat the Islanders in overtime on a Saturday. Uh, love those matinee starts. They come back and they beat Calgary, both teams that have been playing really well. Minnesota had been playing really well before that as well. San Jose had been playing well before that. Edmonton was in first place. The winning streak is snapped. Uh, it looked like they just sort of ran out of gas back to back. Connor Ingram was starting. UC Saros was brilliant on Tuesday night against Calgary. Um, the big celebration of, of Crispy, which of course is a part of the the if, if you don't know, he won a Stanley Cup in '79 with the with the Calgary 89. Flames. '89, sorry, uh, with the Calgary Flames. So big, big, cool, you know, kind of combo celebration between the two franchises on Tuesday. But the Preds win that one. They are five and five. And before we get to Forsberg or Duchesne or anything else, just, uh, it, it, you know, is five and five about right? Is it sustainable? They're playing tough. They're playing really tough teams and playing pretty well. I actually thought they played better against Edmonton than they did against Calgary defensively. And as hockey works, sometimes you, you know, it doesn't go your way. UC Saros saves the day on Tuesday and, um, you know, Dreisaitl and, and McDavid just dominated the third period on, on Wednesday. So you're right. I do think they played better defensively against the Oilers than they did the Flames. First of all, I'd like to point out that Leon Dreisaitl has 10 goals in his past four games against the Predators. So Just let that sink in for a moment. So two and a half goals per game is his average. Yes. 
In his past <laughs> four games, he's averaged two and a half goals against the Predators. He had two again last night. But to your point about them playing uh, better at Edmonton, so our friends at Money Puck, uh, they have what's called a deserve to win meter on their on their <laughs> game uh, on their on their game logs. And I'm looking at the game on Tuesday, and according to Money Puck. On the deserve to winnow meter, the Flames had a 91.3% rating. So, according to the analytics that Money Puck uses to determine the outco- what they think the outcome of games should be, the Flames deserve to win that game 91.3% of the time. And the reason for that is if you scroll down on this fancy thing and it shows expected goals in all situations, the Flames were. Um, the Flames were credited with 4.63 expected goals in all situations, and they only scored two. So UC Soros, we, we the eye test showed you how well he played, but the analytics are are even more favorable uh, to UC Soros. I did think they played better last night, but at the end of the day, the Oilers have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and the Predators do not. And we saw again last night, you know, why those two players, you know, are recent Hart Trophy recipients. And um, even though Leon Dreisaitl, excuse me, Leon Dreisaitl took a year off from uh, torturing the Predators, he picked up right where he left off two seasons ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, five and five, I, I, that, seems, that seems right to me. Um, you know, when they were four and four um, after their win against the Islanders, um, before they left on this trip, um, you know, I, I said that if you would have told me at the end of the first month of the season, they would have been four and four. I would have said, yeah, that seems about right. Maybe even slightly better than I anticipated, but five and five, all things considered, that's about what they are. We, we expected them to be a 500 team, a fringe playoff team. And, and that's what a five on five, well, excuse me, a five and five team looks like after 10 games. Yeah, and, and what's interesting is I think Dreisaitl actually missed an open net at one point too, like on the backside, which is how he scored the, the power play goal. Um, but I think he actually missed the chance at a hat trick. I think he probably actually could have could have done worse. Um, you know, I know you you talked about this and we talked about this on the show last week where the analytics for UC Saros aren't as off the charts as they were last year. Um, but I think after two two wins where he saved above and beyond. Those analytics probably are even better uh, this for, in this first chunk of games. Um, Connor Ingram, listen, I think he actually played pretty well. Like, I think he, he obviously played well against Minnesota. I think he played fairly well, made a couple of big saves. Um, I thought, you know, Carrier saved one there on the back door that probably with a really nice poke check at the last second that I thought was a really nice play. But I thought Ingram overall sort of did his job. I, I mean, that power play for Edmonton and the penalty kill, frankly, because that was... I know the Preds got a power play go late in that game, but that was they they did, did not even set up on most of their power plays against Edmonton, and Edmonton just comes into the zone and just controls the puck. It, they are their special teams is off the charts right now. I think before last night's game, they were like forty six percent on the power play or, or or something insane like that, and and you can see why you know with the way that they move the puck around the zone. I'm trying to pull up their updated. Uh, power play percentage after last night's game, 46.4%. Oh, they went down. All right. Leading the NHL, the next highest, the St. Louis Blues at 38.1%. And by the way, the Predators still a top 10 power play team. 
at 25%. So the Simpsons gift remains holstered for now. <laughs> uh, but they're, you know, a couple slump, a couple bad games, and we're right back to my favorite gif. So um, wait, wait, it's see, here's the problem. This is this is why I do not believe that you are a wet blanket. I believe that you are a honest broker of predators coverage. I think you are maybe a touch cynical like me at times, uh, but also I, I think fair and objective in your reporting. It, fair is more important than even objective because we're all humans and we have human biases. But when you say things like, it sounds a little bit like you're excited to bring back the Preds, get the Simpsons gif and that you're rooting for the Preds to be outside the top 10. Like it sounds a little bit like you're rooting for that. Well, one thing that you <laughs> learn quickly in our business, um, you know, when I was working for the newspaper and I was on deadline and people would say, what's your favorite outcome? Like, what are you, what are you rooting for in a game? There are two things. Like if you're working on a feature story, you know, you're rooting for the player or thing that you're writing about to be, um, to be relevant uh, in the game or games before you write about it so that you have a relevant story. So you so also, perhaps, so perhaps Connor Ingram getting his second career NHL start a day after your story on his mental health drops the same day, the same, same day, day, sorry, same day. And, and, and when you, when you cover hockey for, you know, for any length of time, you pick up on those things. And I figured, okay, because I will talk about this more in depth, but I talked to Connor for that story last Friday. Um, and I talked to his parents on Sunday and I was like, I'm going to post this article on Wednesday because he's probably going to start on Wednesday. Um, but the other thing you root for is games that are very like you want, you want like a four nothing game in like the, the midway through the second period so that you can yes, write yes. a full story on deadline and not have to really change too much. So yeah, you root for certain things. I mean, am I actively <laughs> cheering for the Predators to suck on the power play just so that I can use my GIF again? No, but if it if it happens, I'm not gonna I'm I'm gonna be okay with it. Yeah, okay, all right, um, all right. Philip Forsberg collides with Roman Yossi on Tuesday against Calgary, sort of just like skating through the. I guess it wasn't technically the neutral zone, but basically the neutral zone. Um, he he doesn't really look at the top of the zone. It was at the top of the zone. It doesn't. The, yeah, it doesn't look particularly like he gets up like grimacing or is in a ton of pain or anything. Um, he never comes back. This was the third the third period. He never comes back. Um, and and the Preds announced that he is week to week. And I, I do you have any insight into into what happened, how it happened? length of time uh, we'll get into what this means for the predators lineup their ability to score and also maybe his future value which is of course the worst time for this to happen but it's kind of been a trend adam he's kind of missing games all the time now so we pointed this out um when we talked about the contract situation in, in earlier podcasts you know we're, when we were talking about matthias at home as well philip forsberg has missed at least 15 games in three of the past four seasons and week to week you know, that could mean a lot of things. Um, you're right. What happened, you know, what most likely happened is, uh, you know, he injured himself on that collision with Roman Yossi. Now, I went back and, and looked at the broadcast from the other night, from Tuesday night. Um, and I actually went and looked at the Flames broadcast and they captured something that the Predators broadcast did not. They, they showed, you know, they, when they showed the replay of, of Philip colliding with Roman, they cut to the end of Philip's shift. And at one point, he's by himself in the neutral zone, getting ready to change. And he just stumbles like he falls down to a knee and, and skates off, you know. So 
amateur doctor here could, you know, amateur doctor here could surmise that he had his proverbial bell rung on that particular play. So, Again, so when you say fell to his knee, not like slipped or an ankle or a knee, because it's obviously upper body that, that he was wobbly. He was wobbly coming off the ice. Um, All right. So, um, you know, you, you can try to put two and two together. You know, I, I don't know this to be sure, but just based on the play that he was injured and his reaction afterward, it just seemed to, you know, it seemed to um, point in one direction. Um, but, at, you know, back to what we were talking about, you know, Philip, you know, earlier in that game, he had a beautiful goal, um, you know, the type of goal that, you know, maybe he and one or two other players on the team can score with regularity. And now he's out of the lineup for, you know, week to week, I, you know, could be indefinite, you know, it could be a week, it could be two weeks, it could be a month, who knows. But the point is that Philip Forsberg, it, it, like, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to blame him for injuries. Like he's not out, out there like playing recklessly, but he, he can't stay healthy. And I think that this is the latest reminder of why the Predators should be very wary of signing him to a long-term contract. Um, I, I just, I, I just think that they need to be very careful in these negotiations because we've seen what happens when they make long-term commitments at, at, at large prices. Um, look, Matt Duchesne has played exceptionally well to start the season. Ryan Johansson has played well too, but Neither of them are $8 million players. And one could uh, one could certainly make the case that Philip Forsberg will be looking for more than that on his next contract. And do you really want to sign a player who can't stay healthy for any length of time to be signed long-term at more than $8 million a year, let's say? I, I wouldn't do it. Um, it, it, makes, it makes this conversation very interesting to me. I, I've said before, I, I think the, the, the most ideal situation for the Nashville Predators is for them to be sort of on the, 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 the bad side of the bubble at the trade deadline with a Forsberg who is scoring at a very high clip so that they can trade him for maximum return. And then the young players are so pissed off that they fight their way into the playoffs. Like that, that is the, I think ideal situation for the Predators. And there's a lot of fans that don't want to hear that. There's a lot of fans that are like, no, bring back the most talented player we've ever had on offense because that's what we have to have to build around to move forward. Because it does, you remove Forsberg and you do look at the offense and you go, well, what is the building piece that we that we work around? And while we love all the young talents, the the Tolvanins and the Tomasinos and the Cunnins and the herd line and you know all these pieces, like none of them are that guy. None of them are the star. And and Forsberg did have to carry that around his neck as like the burden of becoming that guy and he's never really he's been that guy in stretches and he's been that guy sometimes in the postseason but he's never been that guy consistently um and and i, I listen you, you talk about like sort of injury prone it's not like he's reckless but but what makes philip forsberg the best philip forsberg is when he plays with power and when you play with power in the nhl in a physical game you are going to sometimes put yourself in a situation to get hurt that's just that's sort of the nature of a power forward in the NHL. Correct. And I just, I broke this down. So these are the games missed by due to injury for Philip Forsberg, starting with the 2014-15 season, which was his first full season in the NHL. 2014-15, zero. 2015-16, zero. 2016-17, zero. 2017-18, 15. 2018-19, 18. 2019-20, six. 
2020, 2021, 17. So it's, it's not trending in the right direction. Well, like I said, do, do you agree with my, like, the Preds are in 10th place in the Western Conference, ninth place in the Western Conference. They're just barely outside of the playoffs. They decide they're going to trade Forsberg. They get a King's ransom in return because he's playing really, really good hockey. He comes back from the injury and he keeps scoring at a, a pretty high clip. They get a big return on him. And then they inject Igor Afanasiev, and all of a sudden they make a run to eighth place and they get a playoff series. Isn't that sort of best case scenario in this in this entire dynamic with the Forsberg contract and the Preds and the playoff and the fans and everything? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting situ- it's an interesting situation. I mean, like, so one thing we talked about was if you're Philip Forsberg. This is what we talked about before the season. If you're Philip Forsberg, you know, and, and you're in the prime of your career, you know, you are in an advantageous position entering the final year of your contract because you can take a look at what this team looks like and decide whether you want to commit long-term to the direction of this franchise. But we, we, we didn't really talk about too much from the Predators point of view. I mean, we talked about, you know, how much we think he's worth and what the Predators should offer him. But, you know, the Predators are in a, ty- in, in a, in a difficult situation because, like you said, Philip Forsberg, you know, arguably is the most talented offensive player the team has ever had. Now they've had the likes of Paul Correa and, and Steve Sullivan and and players of, of that ilk. Another but those Forsberg, players, right? But they were another Forsberg. But those players were established elsewhere. You know, Philip Forsberg. You know, for all intents and purposes, is the most you know successful offensive player that was developed by the Predators. And yes, I know he was not drafted by them, but he was basically <laughs> traded to them as a prospect. So yes, they developed him. So, you know, are you willing to just let that, you know, go? And I don't think they, I don't think they're just going to let him go and walk away. But, you know, as, as they're having this conversation in the front office, they need to look at this latest injury and say, can we, can we really commit to Philip Forsberg? Like, I know that they probably, I know that they want to, but can they? No, like, I, I'm, I'm with you. Business. I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm convinced more and more that it's not the right move long-term for the franchise. And that's, that's, that's tough to hear. That's a tough thing to say. It's a tough thing to think about after the, the years that fans have had watching him. And it's not fair to put the, the history of the franchise not being able to develop, to develop a great player on him. But, like, that's sort of what's happened. Um, I, here's the problem. And I don't – in the, even in the short term, just like in this week or two, three weeks, whatever amount of time he's out, trying to, to maintain – 500 status and score goals was already an issue with him in the lineup. And, and like Luke Cunning, we can talk about some of the other players that you've seen so far in the first 10 games, like Luke Cunning hasn't flashed yet. I'm waiting for him to sort of to, to take a step. Rocco Grimaldi is not the answer long-term to replacing him. It would have been nice. Maybe if Cody glass or Rem Pitlick was around, but like, who knows? They're not, they're not really there and available. Um, you know, moving Tolvanen into the, into the power play in his spot. Okay. I can handle that. That that's, that's a, that I can, that, that's possible that it works out. Uh, otherwise, you know, Tanner Janot has been great, but are you going to count on Tanner Janot to replace Philip Forsberg's scoring? Like, that's not that's not a strategy. I don't I don't believe. W- where do you fall on how to replace the talent, either in the short term because of an injury or potentially long term if you trade him? 
well, they don't really have. They don't. There, there is no. There is no clear replacement on the roster. I mean, you're hoping that Ellie Tolvanen continues to develop and become that and can become that player. Same with Philip Tomasino, and you mentioned Igor Afanasyev, um, you know, who's who had a really good training camp and is playing on the first line for the Milwaukee Admirals, and from what I understand, is is performing very well. Um, since being sent there, but yeah, like, you know, this, this sort of goes to the problem with the predators, um, prospect pool, you know, they, they do have good players in that pool. Like we said, I mean, you can't really count Tolvin in the, in there anymore. And I, I mean, perhaps you can continue to throw Tomasino in there because he's 20 years old, but you know, there's not that can't miss prospect waiting in the wings for an opportunity. Like you see on other teams. I mean, the predators perhaps the Predators' only true can't-miss prospect is a goaltender. And that's great, but, um, you know, if the the Predators are in a weird they're, – they're in a weird spot because, you know, they're in a position where they shouldn't be going out and trying to sign a big-time a big time free agent. You know, they're – you know, they don't really – they don't really have the – they don't really have the trade chips to acquire a player of that caliber. I mean, I, I, we saw – we saw today, for example – um, the Jack Eichel saga is over. Uh, he was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, and, and part of that return, uh, was Peyton Krebs, um, who was a first round pick for the Vegas Golden Knights and is a, you know, is a very highly thought of prospect. You know, the Predators don't have that type of player. Well, but waiting. that's, first of all, how many draft picks to the Vegas Knights have left in their system. Um, but that, that is the point. Not of very tra- many. That's the point of trading Forsberg. That, that is the point. The reason you trade Forsberg among other reasons is you get that player in return, whoever that is, whether it's the, a, a, a top 10 draft pick in this year's draft, you know, cause it's loaded and everybody thinks it's going to have, there's going to be a bunch of those types of players, or there is a top tier prospect like that on a team that thinks they can compete and wants to bring in, a high level rental and or long-term piece like that. The way you get that is to trade Philip Forsberg. That's right, like that's the way you get that. If you're like, you look at the teams, you look at the teams that are, are playing well to start the season. I mean, like l- let's look at Edmonton, for example, let's just, you know, Edmonton, they've got Connor McDavid. They've got Leon Dreisel. And again, I don't know their cap situation, but you know, they're, they've been a great regular season team now for a couple of years, but they have not been able to get over the hump in the postseason. And if Ken Holland, the GM of the Edmonton Oilers, they're eight and one right now. And let's say they continue to play like that. And Ken Holland, who has not been afraid to make big moves in his long career, says, you know what? We need to throw in another winger to make this team, you know, a, a, a real threat in the postseason. Why wouldn't you go after someone like Philip Forsberg? And I'm not sure of the Oilers prospect situation, you know, prospect system, but you know, I'm sure they have some highly regarded prospects or younger players that the Predators can have. And you know, where this team is, honestly, I mean, if I had, if you, what, if I had, what if, you if, need, if you had to pin me down right now and said, should the Predators re-sign Bill of Forsberg? My answer is no, they should not. I, I real like right now, I just don't think. I, agree. I mean, I, I was skeptical. Before the season, and now with this injury, I'm even more skeptical. Um, I think this, like, I, I'm not saying they need to trade him today, but 
you know, we talked about this. If the Predators get closer to the trade deadline and he is unsigned, you got to pull the trigger. You can't you can't wait and hope I, that he resigns. You have to pull the trigger. I agree, and I had, it has nothing to do with the injury for me. Like I said it a couple of weeks ago on the show, I, I thought the best case scenario is for him to be scorching hot, the Preds to be slightly out of the playoffs, for you to get a King's Ransom in return, and then see what happens with the young players and have them develop. So let's, let's move on from Forsberg. We've talked a lot about him Uh, quickly, you know, Matt Duchesne, by the way, nine points uh, in 10 games. He had 13 points all of last season. So he's starting to help replace some of that. He won the, had the game winner, of course. And we've talked a lot about Duchesne just clearly being better this year um, and buying into the John Hines ethos. I will say just quickly, I, I do find this team and maybe it's because I was raised on predators hockey, like through 20 plus years and and sort of unlike you, I've been here the whole time and sort of a season ticket holder back in the day and watching the trots era. Like there, I, I am, I appreciate the charm of this style of team. If John Hines can get them to play this hard and they can be a 500 team and maybe challenge for a playoff spot with an undersized goaltender and some really good defensive players and a herd line that's fun to watch. Like I find that to be a charming team. It's probably not going to win anything. And Preds fans want a cup and I get that. So do I, but I do find that style of, of, of franchise to be charming. And maybe it's just because I have nostalgia for like, I appreciated how Barry Trotz built an organization and ran a team and coached a team and built a team. I, I don't know. Maybe that's, Maybe that's far-fetched. Maybe it's the Mets fan inside of me. Maybe it's the Tennessee Volunteer alumni inside of me. I, I don't know. Um, but trading Forsberg for a bunch of players and then watching John Hines do work to get them to bust their ass every night, like that's there's some charm. There's some charm there. I don't know if it sells tickets if you're the Preds, but I I, I find it to be charming. Is that weird? I think the I think the point is, and I understand what you're saying. The point is watching this team play this season and we can also go back to the end of last season in the postseason but let's just look at this season has there been at any point this season where you've watched this team and said man they're just dogging it out there no never no and that and that is and that's a good thing obviously but that's not something you could have said about this team a couple of years ago (laughs) um and i i think i think the 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 changes that have been made in terms of the work ethic and the philosophy have been all positive. And like you said, is John Hines the coach to turn this team into a Stanley Cup contender? History would suggest no. But for where this team is, I can't think of a coach that's better equipped to do what this team needs than John Hines. And again, that's me being the quote-unquote, water-carrying John Hines apologist. No, no, no. We've said that like 12 times on the show. Like I know, but... He, he may not be some, the guy long-term, but he's podcast, the guy for right now. Right. This Someone listening to this podcast is going to roll their eyes and leave a two-star rating because I said something but, like that. This is Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Josh Heupel, I don't think, can win SEC championships at Tennessee. But that organization is going through a major NCAA investigation, a roster completely that's devoid of talent. They need someone to come in and teach young players how to play the game again with fun and with excitement and, and together. And that's what Josh Heupel's doing at Tennessee right now. I think that's what John Hines is doing at, for the predators. So again, I think there's some charm there to it. Again, part of it's nostalgia, part of it's, I enjoy watching young players play hard. uh, Does it get old if you cannot win more games than you then you lose and can't make the playoffs. Yes, it, it will get old quickly, um, but that's a couple of years down the road for, for now. Um, all right, so a lot about the team. I think most people should be satisfied because every single game has been close. 
They've played, they've won games against good teams. Some of the young talent has not yet developed, which actually is a promising sign because there's more, more positive growth to come. And then there's good signs from some other pieces as well. Soros and Duchesne and Johansson. And I think the defense core Fabro has been better than I expected. I think Carrier has been as good as expected at Coleman Yossi or at Coleman Yossi. So there's still lots to be excited about. Um, and at five and five, they're still right in the middle of it all. All right. When we come back, We'll talk about Pekka Rene's jersey retirement. We'll talk about Crispy stepping away, your story about Connor Ingram's um, uh, mental health situation and what he dealt with in the offseason. We will get into what Bridgestone Arena is doing, as well as the Chicago Blackhawks and the NHL and Gary Bettman. All when we come back right here on the Gold Standard. The Gold Standard, Adam Vingan of The Athletic, Pay for Good Journalism, is brought to you by... Jaspers. I used my my tagline, my good tagline earlier. Yo, Kiro Jaspers. Yeah, it was it was it's brilliant writing by you. Um, uh, all right. So go to Jaspers. There's, it's the next evolution of the sports bar. There's tons of great food. Uh, obviously, Deb Paquette does a great job with the menu. There are there's a gold standard cocktail that you can purchase and consume named after this podcast, which is cool. And uh, obviously, great happy hour specials during Preds games home and away. Three dollar domestic beers domestic and of course uh the smash burger which is like this giant double patty thing that's just spectacular so go to jaspers now we we had a, a bit of a, a a twitter discussion a twitter debate and it is not it wasn't really first... much of a debate it was it, it was very one-sided it, it can be a debate for me because i don't live in your house um <laughs> it's it, you decide how much of a debate it wants to be for you uh adam but your your wife bridget has been on the show before uh just one time briefly so we will bring her back to, as part of this discussion so bridget welcome to the show good to see you thank you i'm happy to be here to defend my position we we have baby arlo as well so baby arlo is making his first appearance uh he's a man of few words still um <laughs> but one of the discussions, and I, th- I hope Jaspers are, are paying attention to this because I, I'd, I'd like to know when they start playing Christmas music inside their restaurant, which would be a fascinating sort of injection into this discussion and debate. I have very strong feelings about this. Adam, set this up with, with your lovely wife. So on November 1st, Bridget turned on All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey on the, on the Google stream. And... Oh, Arlo, now you're hey, talking, huh? <laughs> um, And I told her that it was unacceptable to play Christmas music until Black Friday. To me, the Christmas slash holiday season is Black Friday to New Year's Day. Perhaps that's being too specific. Bridget thinks the holiday season includes Thanksgiving as well, which I guess is true. But I do not believe that Christmas music is allowed to be played until Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Bridget, make your case for Mariah Mariah Carey season to start on November 1st. Listen, if Adam wants it to not, if he doesn't want the joy of the holiday season until the day after Thanksgiving, that's fine, (laughs) but I'm celebrating. Um, I think we should all want more joy in our lives and I think all whatever 70 whatever percent of people who said that Adam was right it was it was closer to 80 percent actually unhappy people and that's not my problem (laughs) so the poll question you put out is basically around that that start time of Christmas music which is obviously a 
a, a long time debate in sports talk across the board. I, I personally, I'll lay out, Bridget, I'll lay out, lay out what happens in my household. Um, we go purchase a Christmas tree on Black Friday as a family every single year. It, it lasts till about New Year. So around the time Adam's talking, that's when we sort of do it. I have no control over the, the radio when my wife wants to play whatever she wants to play. But she definitely doesn't start in the, in November. Now, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. So I think the war on Thanksgiving is really the war that's not being covered enough because the war on Christmas gets covered and whoever's in charge of it needs to be sacked because it's they're losing. But <laughs> I, I think the war on Thanksgiving is this unchecked aggression that should not stand because I love Thanksgiving. It's a beautiful holiday with beautiful sort of meaning and I, I the the decorations are terrible. I'll acknowledge that, but but a cornucopia fan. That's like the problem is that the the Thanksgiving go to Jasper's by the way. They're not great. Um, there's not Thanksgiving music. I too love Thanksgiving. We're hosting Thanksgiving this year. It's going to be very cozy in our little house with um, six adults and three dogs and a baby and a baby. <laughs> but um, we're going to do it. It's going to be great. So I have nothing against Thanksgiving. Okay. I just really love the whole holiday season and there's only Christmas music. So if you're looking for a great place to eat while doing your <laughs> Christmas shopping, whether it's now or a Black Friday, go to Jasper's. Jasper's is also a great first meal after you have a baby. Yes. Um her first meal after after giving birth to Arlo was a Jasper's burger. Yes. The only, the, the only place she'll eat meat, Jasper's. <laughs> uh, listen, I. what were the results of the poll question, Adam? What? How, so the people all disagreed with her and agreed with us? I this? was going to say that you should call Stevie Nicks because it was a landslide. Oh, God. <laughs> My dad texted me that he voted in the poll. Um, and what did he vote? He agrees with Adam. But... <laughs> November 1st is very early for Mariah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But just every now and then, I just really love the holiday season. I love right. spending time with our families, you know, Aww. just very so the festive. Poll, the poll was, it is November 1st at Bridget Bresnahan is playing Christmas music. I maintain that playing Christmas music is unacceptable until Black Friday. We need a ruling. Who is right? 624 votes. Adam, 78%. Bridget, 22%. And again, so, I'm just going to say, I don't care. They're wrong. They don't like joy. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be listening to it and I'm going to be, be happy enjoying the holiday season. And if they want to be sad and cold and listen to non-festive music, whatever. But what we can agree System on. System of a down and Limp yes. Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> what, what we can agree on is going to Jasper's. Yes. Uh, here's what I think. Here's. Here's what I think I'm here. Here's what I think I'm hearing. I think I'm hearing the exact same psychological and personality dynamic in my household, which is a cynical black and white media person who needs to have a take about something and feels very passionately and is opinionated about everything. Um, having to sort of use the Twitter sphere to uh, make an argument to our significant others who really honestly do not give a shit. Yes. Arlo will be the tie breaking vote. Sorry, sorry, Arlo, earmuffs. <laughs> Arlo, is daddy right or is mommy right? Arlo is a mom. Once again, I think uh, I live in a very similar household dynamic where my wife just looks at this conversation and goes, I don't care. I'm going to play what music I want to play. 
Arlo is currently smiling at me, which right, suggests that Jeffers. he agrees with me. Bridget, it's wonderful to see you. Baby Arlo, thank you for making your debut on the show. We do appreciate it. This has been riveting, riveting debate where Adam and I are technically correct and our wives don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you later. Good to see you, B. Bye, Bubba. Bye, Bubba. All right, everybody. Go to Jasper's. Uh, you know, free parking. Next evolution of the sports bar. Great happy hour. Great specials during Preds game. And a cocktail named after us, Adam. I don't think the wife or the baby has a cocktail named after them yet, but we've got what one. Would the, what the would the Arlo standard. cocktail be? Bridget, <laughs> don't don't make your don't, don't girl, make your, I was gonna say don't make your, don't make your say that on the air. <laughs> go, to, go, to go to Jasper's, go to Jasper's. where your alcohol is one hundred percent free of breast milk. Go, go go to Jasper's where our milk is from a cow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, some uh, some heavy tunes and some light tunes here on the podcast, Adam, uh, because there's some really fun, lighthearted, you know, kind of just joyful stuff uh, with Crispy retiring and getting to celebrate him and Pekka getting his number retired, the first in franchise history. It'll be February 24th. I'm assuming that will be a very emotional day. Uh, it was fun just to actually see him even on a Zoom call. So there's some like really fun, lighthearted stuff. Then we're going to get to Connor Ingram and what he had to deal with in the offseason. Uh, you did a great job reporting on that, which is why people should pay for good journalism, of course. Uh, go to The Athletic, and then we'll get into the, you know, the craziness that is, you know, the the, the Chicago scandal. And I, I did a lot of reading, Adam, that I don't feel like I needed to, but, I, but I'm glad that I did. I didn't enjoy it, but I'm glad that I read about it. Um, Gary Bettman, do better. We'll get to that in a second. So let's start with Pekka. It feels like this is a foregone conclusion. I'm not really sure what we add to this conversation other than congratulations. He's well-deserving. He's the best first Jersey retirement ever in franchise in like NHL history. Uh, I don't know any of the other ones, but I'm just assuming, and I'm assuming February 24th will be a really fun day. So I had a chance to speak to Pekka uh, yesterday uh, before his zoom call. And I asked him about the day after he announced his retirement. Um, in July, I said, when you woke up this, when you woke up that morning, the following morning, and you were officially retired, um, what did you think? How did you feel? And he said that he woke up and he thought to himself, did I make a mistake? Was I really ready to retire? And he was half joking. Um, but, you know, he seems really happy. Um, he, he's living in Finland, um, back in his, in his hometown, 20 minutes away from his parents, his partner's parents live in Southern Finland. They have an 11 month old baby, Paulus. Um, I believe today is Paulus's 11 month birthday. Um, and, you know, one thing that was really interesting, and I remember talking to him about this before he retired, that, that his parents and Erica's parents did not have an opportunity to meet their grandson um, until after Pekka retired because they couldn't travel. Um, and, you know, he talked about with me, like that being the most, you know, important thing is that now both sets of grandparents can spend time, uh, with their, with their grandson. It's, um, I believe, uh, it's, it's, it's his, his wife's parents' first grandchild. I, you know, I believe, you know, Pekka's sister has kids, I believe, but, Point being, and as, as a new father, I can relate. You know, it's very important to spend time with family and be and be around family when a baby is born. So the fact that they had to wait six, seven months before they yeah, were able tough. to meet uh, 
to meet uh, Paulus, you know, it was tough on everybody, but, you know, he seems happy, you know, he's staying, uh, he's staying uh, up to speed with the team. He still talks to players and staff members on the team. Um, you know, he said the games in Finland, the, the games, the Predators games start like at three or 4 a.m. in Finland. I think it's an eight hour time difference, he said, uh, between Nashville and where he's living in Finland. And he said that he, you know, he needs his sleep because he's a, he's a dad. And, you know, as I can also attest, sleep is precious. Also the internet allows you to watch games kind of whenever you want. So. Yes. That, Spe- that is especially true. when you're Pekka and you can probably call the Preds and get a hard copy of the, the game, whenever you want. <laughs> well, what's interesting is he did say that Ben Vanderklok, the goaltending coach actually does send him clips, you know, I, of, of the goalies. Oh, future goaltending coach Pekka Rene for the Nashville Predators. I, That's what I, I just I, heard. I joked, I joked with him, are you breaking down film now? And he laughed and he said, no, you know, he offer, you know, he's off, you know, he offers his take, but he's not like spending his downtime, you know, in front of a projector watching game film. Um, But I think there would be at some point in his, in his life interest in, in in getting back into the sport, you know, and coaching a little bit um, probably in Finland, I would, I would surmise, but um, you know, I'm I'm really happy for him. You know, we talked that we've talked about this on other podcasts. You mentioned earlier it's important to be a fair and objective reporter. However, when you spend as much time around people as you do in this job, um, you get to know them on a personal level and, and you root for players. I mean, there there are guys that I've covered that you know I will always have time for. Um, that I'll always hope for the best. And, and Pecorine is probably the number one player on that list. Um, you know, he, he was an amazing person to deal with on a daily basis for six years. Um, and you know, I'm really, um, fortunate to have been able to get to know him and and still know him. And, you know, it only made, it only made sense for him to be the first Jersey retired in predators history. So, you know, good for him. And I look forward to, uh, the celebration in February of his number being retired. And, and really, fifty nine is the only other one on the list, in in my opinion. Like that's even not, not six. I I don't know. I, I saw you write about that, and I read that, and I thought I could see it. Captain for for a long time. I'd have to go back and dive into the the, the total numbers of games played and kind of all that stuff. Uh, but he might six might be deserving. I, I I mean, he's definitely deserving as a player. There's no and as a personality and as a, and as a man, there's no question about that. I think it's more of like a did he spend enough of his career here? And the, and the answer is probably like 763 yes. games for the predators. Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably six. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, that That's good enough for me. <laughs> that's good. That's good enough. Um, and then, uh, and then 59 will be right behind it, but that, that'll be February 24th, 24th, excuse me. Uh, the, the, the 35 will be hung in the rafters and I'm sure that I'm, I'm assuming NHL Twitter will make fun of the predators for hanging a banner. Of course they already um, have, which is stupid. Um, all right, Crispy's also stepping away from the from the, the the broadcasting booth, and again, not a whole lot to be said here that we can add to the conversation, other than this is one of the most joy filled, cheerful, happiest dudes I have ever been around. I've the the, the I cherish the off the record standing in the concourse morning skate off the air conversations I've had with them on the air conversations I've had with them. Um, he's been a fantastic ambassador for the game of hockey in the city of Nashville for 20 years. Um, I'm not sure what there is to add here, Adam, other than just, if you ever get a chance to talk with crispy, 
when there are no microphones around as a fan, which he's out there and, you know, he's been around for a long time out there talking to folks. And I'm sure there's lots of you that have had interactions with them. You just come away with a big smile on your face and um, nothing but respect for the guy. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a little coach still in him. When you, when you get him talking about a game or a play or a power play or a penalty kill or something, he wasn't shy about dropping a story or a one-liner or some, you know, <laughs> like he's still got some head coach in him. Uh, but man, it was, it was a pleasure to have him as a part of this organization for that long. And, uh, he will be missed next season. Yes. I've never seen Terry crisp in a bad mood and judging by the stories of him as a coach, I don't think I would want to see him in a bad mood, um, (laughs) because he could get fiery as you might imagine. Um, so you're right. Um, you know, for, for predators fans who have been fans of the organization of the franchise, rather. Um, for 20 plus years, uh, you know, Terry Crisp and Pete Weber um, introduced hockey to the masses in this region. And it was their responsibility to, to teach uh, the sport um, to a city and a region that had very little um, experience watching hockey. And, you know, when you, when you talk to lifelong Predators fans about those two, um, you know, even, even someone like me, who's only been here for six, seven years, you get a sense of just how important Terry Crisp and P Weber, but since we're talking about Terry, how important Terry has been, um, to lending credibility to the franchise. I mean, think about it when, when this, when this organization started, you know, their first color commentator, you know, was, was a, was a, was an NHL player and coach, um, that won Stanley cups, um, in both, in both roles, I believe. Um, so, you know, that lends credibility right away to a fledgling franchise and, you know, crispy has an excellent personality, you know, he he's informative and funny, um, which is sometimes a hard needle to, you know, hard, you know, th- needle, is it thre- I was going to say needle to thread. thread no, that's right. Needle. Yeah. You, you thread it. Um, okay. Um, and and but, to work for the team and still be able to say the thing you need to say in a way that doesn't upset the current coach or the current organization. Like he would still be able to say the thing on the air if you asked him. And I think Hal Gill actually does a very good job of this as well. Like if you ask him about a thing that maybe maybe a player's not doing great or the team's not doing great, like he he had the ability to sort of do it in a disarming way, even if he was being critical. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's a, a nice, a good way of putting it. Um, you know, he, he, you know, Terry, we talked about we talked about work shoots and shoot promos earlier. You know, Terry, you know, Terry was not afraid to tell it like it is, um, even if it wasn't what you would think a, a team employed color commentator would or should say. Um, but because of his vast experience in the NHL. Um, like I said, it means something to hear what he has to say. And look, you know, I'm, I'm someone as, as our listeners know, you know, I'm sort of the new school hockey fan slash reporter. I, I very much um, rely on the fancy stats and things of that nature to, to tell the story. But sometimes it's good to just get an old school take on the game. And, and, and Terry has that in spades. Yep. Um, and, and that's why it's so great. Um, to get to know him and to talk to him, his, his expertise is, is invaluable. Um, and it, it's going to be weird um, not having him on the broadcast 
anymore. Um, we saw how emotional it, it made uh, the broadcasters to hear that announcement. I think I saw a still a still photo of of Lindsey Rally wiping away tears um, after the announcement uh, was made. Um, so you know, congratulations to Terry. It was great to see him honored in Calgary the other night. Of course, that's perfect. when he won the perfect. Stanley Cup as a coach. Um, beloved in that town, you know, still wears the Stanley Cup ring. Um, you know, you can go anywhere in Calgary with Terry Crisp and every door would open. Um, so congratulations to Terry. You know, the good news is that we still have a full, you know, 60 something, 70 something games left uh, yeah, yeah. with him on the broadcast. Um, but, you know, you'll you'll appreciate him more this season, knowing that when it's over, he won't be there anymore. So um, it, w- it was it yeah. was bittersweet. You know, he deserves he deserves the time to retire. The other thing is just if you were watching the game on Tuesday and they showed, uh, you know, they had plenty of things about Terry and his family. You know, he has like 500 grandkids. I'm surprised <laughs> they fit in that little suite at the uh, at the Saddle Dome. Uh, I'm being I'm exaggerating, of course, but he's got he's got a lot of family. Um, and my favorite thing about it is that his grandkids call him coach. Like that's, that's their name for him. Not grandpa, not Papa. They call him coach, which is fitting. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to cherish my time with Terry a little bit more this season, whenever yep. I see him. So yep. uh, we're all very happy for him. Yep. No question. And I don't think, you know, if you're listening to this show, you're probably, a, a, you're probably a little bit younger and you probably, you probably know all, all there is to know about the game. You probably do know about the, the fancy analytics or whatever, at least we've taught you about them. If you, if you didn't before um, I was in high school when the predators came here and, but I grew up, you know, kind of in a hockey family from, you know, I lived in Connecticut and Wisconsin. Originally my family's from the North and we moved down here when I was, you know, moved down to Texas and Georgia when I was like six, seven years old, but I grew up a Rangers fan. So I grew up in a household with hockey on all the time. So I knew about icing and I knew about all these rules offsides and everything. Like even when the predators got here, most of the people in this market, most of my friends did not. They had to be taught about that stuff. The simple stuff that now today I think we take for granted. And it's the work of a guy like Crispy over 20 years that has gotten us to this point. And so I just don't want the, I don't want that to get lost. I don't think it is. I think everybody knows that, but I just want to, you know, like the, 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 the maturation of a hockey market came to fruition with the cup run. And I think that has been there's building blocks along the way. And crispy is one of the most foundational pieces of that for the organization moving forward. So uh, enjoy, enjoy listening to him for the rest of the season. Um, Like you said, bittersweet for sure. Um, All right, let's get to some of the tougher stuff here, Adam, real quickly. And we'll, we'll sort of bullet point this stuff and and, and move quickly through it. Uh, Bridgestone arena changes its policy. Um, November 13th, you will not have to show proof of vaccination, whatever to get in. Here's my only thing about this. And I have, I assume the Predators are doing this responsibly according to CDC guidelines. If anybody ever in any organization in any city in America is doing this type of decision-making to sell tickets, shame on you. Um, I don't think that's what's happening here. I have no evidence to suggest that's what's happening here. I hope that it's because we're getting this thing under control and we're reaching high vaccination rates and that there's no danger. Uh, I assume that's what the Predators would do. I don't I don't know why they, they would do anything else. Um, but you know that sort of narrative is going to be out there because of the sellout streak just ending and, and that kind of thing. So um, I, I, I am assuming that all of this is done for the right reasons. And if it is done for the right reasons, then I'm excited about it and happy about it. There were a lot of takes on this yesterday when the Predators made the announcement. There were the takes from 
from those who thought that the policies were draconian saying, you know, thank goodness I can finally go to a game again, or I can finally support the franchise again. Then there were the people who liked the policies that said, well, I'm not going to go to a game yep. you know, now because I don't feel safe. And then there were people who said, it's interesting timing considering their sellout streak just ended <laughs> thinking face emoji. That's, and, that's, that's the cynical approach for sure. Right. And, and, and look like, you're never going to please everybody. You know, it, it is, you know, in the release, they cited, you know, the declining number of cases in the region um, that they felt comfortable doing this. Um, so basically, the it's going to be back to normal because the Predators never, like this season, never required masks. They strongly recommended wearing masks. And I think they will continue to strongly recommend masks. But you know, by walking around the building over the past month, very few people are wearing masks. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. last year, sorry to say this, Adam, but last year when masks were required, uh, there were there was a lot of people not wearing masks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, my colleague, not at the athletic, but uh, Marissa and Jimmy, who covers the Seattle Kraken for the Seattle Times. You know, she had an interesting tweet um, yesterday. I'm trying to find it. Um, she was here for uh, the first game, um, you know, the home opener for the Predators because they played Seattle. And she said, I went to Nashville a couple weeks ago for the Kraken game, and it is the most I have ever been scared of getting COVID. No one wore masks almost anywhere indoors. Legitimately freaked me out a lot. I'm stunned they had regulations because it didn't feel like it um well that was else... but that was when they you had to show your vaccination card like I, right. I i don't know how you feel adam but as long as i go if i go anywhere where i have to show my vaccination card i feel pretty comfortable right i mean we talked about going to like, we talked about going to um about the jason isbell concert a couple weeks ago and you went to 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 uh two concerts but as we have noted um you know jason isbell is requiring full vaccination to attend his shows um and like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you know, we felt comfortable not wearing masks in the Ryman because right. we knew that everybody in the building was vaccinated. Um, but, you know, we didn't know if everybody in the building in Bridgestone Arena is yeah. vaccinated. Yeah. Um, well, and, start, and, starting, yeah, starting November 13th. Right. <laughs> but even then, you know, you could have shown a, a proof of a right, negative right. test. I would be curious, and I don't think there's a way to necessarily track this because I'm not sure how the, if, if and how the Predators did. But I would love to know how many fans attended the first set of home games after showing a negative test. You know, I would love to. I would love to know how many Meaning fans what, actually. What, what percentage was vax card? What percentage was negative test? Yes, I, I, I will say, and I can't. I don't quote me on this, but you can go find it really easily. There are about four hundred thousand people that went to Lollapalooza in Chicago, and they did a lot of data study on showing vax cards versus negative tests and. It, it you can check the data. I want to say it was like 15, 18, you know, some low percentage number of people that were negative tests versus vaccination. And, and then of like the 200 cases that they came about more than half of them came from the negative test folk, not the vaccination folks. So again, I, these are all go, go read about it for yourself. Here, here's what I would say to your original point. And Sean Henry talked about this on Lamestream. So if you want to go listen to Sean Henry actually explain the thought process behind all of their regulations and their decision-making at Bridgestone, go listen to Lamestream Sports because he does a great job of explaining 
sort of what they've decided and how and when and who they've worked with and how much guidance they've gotten from the city and all this stuff. And he even said on the show, half the people he talks to think it's too draconian. Half the people he talks to thinks they're not doing enough. And so, you know, you may open up the building for a certain type of person to now come to the game and you may close off the building now for a certain type of person to not come to the game. So I am hopeful that this is being done. And I assume it is because it is now safer to go to the game without having to put all these restrictions in place and that there's no other reason. It's not politics. It's not money. It's not anything else. It's just now it's safer to go. And if that's the case, which I think it is, then that's something we should be celebrating, not fighting about. And if you're not, if you're not comfortable going to the game, don't go to the game. Just like if you right. didn't have a, no va- just like if you didn't have a vaccine, you can't go to the game. Don't go to the game. If you don't want a vaccine, if it's not worth it to you, don't go to the game. And now it's the other side of the equation. And here we are. So, all right. It, it, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, either way, I mean, no one's going to be, no, not everybody's going to be happy. Right. Um, right. You know, we, we are both pro vaccine on this show. Yes. So we're not going to tell, tell you, tell we're you not what... going to tell you what to do. Uh, all right. Uh, go get a vaccine. Um, <laughs> and go to Jasper's by the way, uh, your story on Connor Ingram, the mental health issue. Again, we talked about, I asked you this a couple of weeks ago. I said, have you seen any, through lines between your in-depth dealings with Colin Wilson, who's been very open about his OCD. Um, and, and, and of course, Mark Borowiecki, you did a great story about him a couple of months, you know, just like last month or two months ago about his battles with this, with this issue. Connor Ingram missed what most of last year, almost all of last year because he entered into the NHL player association, sort of um, what's it called? The, the player assistance program, player assistance program. And, Obviously, what happens when that when when that takes place is the, the the team issues a very vague statement. No one really knows what's going on because it's that player's business. Um, you you cited some examples of maybe you know some drinking being involved, but really it was about mental health. And this comes back to OCD again, Adam. And I was not surprised to see that in the story. Uh, your conversations with Connor, we are all ecstatic that he got his debut, that he won his debut, and that he's doing well and that he's gotten the diagnosis and figured out how to manage it. I thought a really interesting tidbit in there about how he can manage it, right? Like do half your laundry, I thought was an interesting piece of advice that you wrote in the story, which I think is great for people that have some OCD elements in their lives. Uh, what are you seeing here through through lines between the NHL players, Predators players, and, and this particular mental health issue? I, yeah, I know we've talked about this before. You know, is it, you know, is it a coincidence um, or is it something more that the Predators have had you know, multiple players that have had this particular issue, you know, Colin Wilson, Mark Borowiecki, now Connor Ingram. I mean, the, you know, a lot of people have obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, so I, I, I do think it's a coincidence, but I, Oh I, yeah. I don't think it's anything to do with the Preds. I would say more yeah. NHL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I, when I think about, you know, first of all, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, thank, thank Connor and his parents, Brent and Joni for being so willing to share, you know, their experience, as you said, the, you know, the player assistance program, little is known about it publicly and that's on purpose because it's, because it's, uh, it's nobody's business, but the people involved, um, you know, we saw, you know, for example, Austin Watson, you know, enter that program a couple of years ago, um, Carrie Price currently in that program. Um, and when, uh, it, when I spoke to Connor, you know, I, I was a bit, um, when I, before I sat down with him, I was, um, I was unsure 
how open he was going to be just because of where he is in his life. You know, when I, when I sat down with Mark, you know, Mark is my age, he's 32 years old. He's got, he's got us, he's got a son. He's got another child on the way. He's in a different point of his career. You know, he felt more comfortable opening up about those things. Connor's in his early twenties. He's just starting out, um, you know, as a, you know, he's, this is his fifth year pro, I believe, but just, you know, starting to crack the NHL, um, and I, I wasn't sure if he wanted to, sh- to share what he went through, but, you know, he was incredibly open. And you, as you mentioned, you know, he's, he's, it's a bit, it was, it was a combination of things, you know, the, the obsessive compulsive disorder was the main catalyst, but, um, he's also dealt with some post-traumatic stress as a result of the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team bus crash, uh, three and a half years ago. Uh, Humboldt is in Saskatchewan. He grew up about, I would, I think Imperial Saskatchewan is about like an hour or so, hour and a half away from Humboldt. So he, and, and as you might imagine, Saskatchewan is not heavily populated. Uh, so he, he grew up with a lot of, and played hockey with a lot of the victims of that particular crash. And, you know, he, he never really had a chance to grieve. Um, his father told me a story about how he came home for, I think, one of the funerals and then had to immediately leave to go back to, at the time, Syracuse, which was the lightnings uh, ahl team um so never really had a chance to 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 properly grieve so between that and the ocd you know he mentioned he had uh he had uh, leaned on drinking as a coping mechanism and he and he mentioned something in the pan and and being isolated in the pandemic and being isolated in the pandemic so it was it was a it was a, a combination of a lot of things and he spent 40 days in a mental health treatment center in california um, and you know, the, the fact that he was so willing to share the story. And we mentioned this with the Mark story and any story, and we, we talked about how mental health has become a lot, a lot less of a taboo topic in all professional sport. You know, we, you know, Simone Biles was a, was a, a major story during the Olympics. Um, Naomi Osaka, uh, is another example of a high profile athlete who's been open about his or her mental health. You know, it's important for these stories to be told because, you know, someone might look at Connor Ingram as an example of, of perseverance and, and they, and they should, um, and, and, and people can relate to that. So, you know, it was, you know, it was great to see his family in attendance at the game, you know, his three older brothers, his parents were there, you know, his parents told me about how they were at a wedding, um, in Saskatoon, uh, the weekend that Connor made his NHL debut against Minnesota. Um, and, the Saskatoon airport suspended international flights during the pandemic. So there were no international flights out of Saskatoon. Uh, The flights from Winnipeg to Minnesota were sold out and they were willing to drive six hours to Calgary to get on a plane in Calgary and fly to Minnesota. But just because of the timing of it all, you know, needing the COVID-19 tests to cross the border, um, they weren't able to attain that in time. So they weren't able to attend the game. So they were in attendance last night. Um, and I'm really glad they were, um, it's a great story. Um, not my story, but the, the story of, of Connor Ingram, you know, a really good story. Happy to see that he's doing well. I appreciate him being so open and his family for being so open. Um, so please, you know, give it a read. Um, it's on the athletic right now. Um, I also wanted like to, I would also like to thank, they're probably not listening to this, but I would also like to thank Willie Donick and, and Chris Mason, uh, for mentioning the story multiple times times on the broadcast last night i actually got a call from pete weber after the game yeah i heard, uh, I heard telling the shout that out. it was a, was a topic of conversation in the press box 
um, in Edmonton. Of course, I was not there. I was changing diapers. Um, but, you know, I, I really appreciate everyone who's had a nice thing to say about it. And But most importantly, I appreciate Connor uh, being so willing to speak about it. Uh, and I think it's important to note at that age, um, a, a, to have the self-awareness to do it, because Mark, Mark Borowiecki talks about how he did not have the self-awareness at that age to do what Connor Ingram is doing, right? right? Like that, right. that he sort of was presented with that opportunity and, and kind of kind of pushed it away a little bit. And that's sort of what led to it continuing to grow. And um, it's not just athletes. I think what's important to take away is that mental health is not a problem for just rich and famous and successful athletes. It's a It's an issue that all of us deal with. And we all have tragedy in our life. We all have difficulty and stress, and we all have different sorts of mental, you know, reactions to everything that we deal with. And it's important that I think, uh, you know, if it can happen to an NHL player, it can happen to you too. And I think that's sort of the, the big picture message. And I think you're doing a great job with these. Um, I, it's not that I'm rooting for like more players to have mental health issues. That's not what I'm rooting for. Um, but I think you've shown yourself to be a great steward of their stories to tell it the right way and to put the right perspective on it in that this is a story of perseverance, not a person of weakness. And, and um, I think that's important. I think that's a really important thing to do. So keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Um, and uh, go check it out. Pay for good journalism. It is why it is a perfect example of why you pay three bucks or four bucks, whatever the hell it is for a, for a subscription to the athletic, because you get a story like that. Um, Gary Bettman story of perseverance. Not so much. Um, didn't allow the, was it the reporter who actually was, was in basically in charge of breaking this Chicago Blackhawks thing wide open. Um, the name Brad Aldrich, I don't even like saying his name out loud. The the person in question here from way back when that was completely covered up by the entire organization. I do recommend reading as much as your stomach can handle. Um, but the, the next evolution of this story is that Gary Bettman was in a press conference and the reporter who wrote all of this stuff was not allowed to ask a question. Okay. So let's, let's set this up quickly. So Rick Westhead of TSN um, is the reporter who did a lot of the early groundwork um, leading to the um, leading to all of the things that have happened in Chicago. And earlier this week, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly deputy commissioner and deputy commissioner respectively held a zoom press conference to discuss the findings of the report. And it was about an hour long media availability. And it took until about the 45 minute mark for the NHL PR person overseeing the call to call on Rick to ask a question. And, um, you know, it took my colleague at the athletic among other places, Pierre Lebrun, um, to ask a question and to basically shame the shame, the NHL into letting Rick talk, um, to perhaps finally compel them uh, to let him ask a question. Um, other reporters had a chance to follow up before Rick got called on once. And, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, this is the media being self-important, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, yes, but I do think it's important for the, you know, the reporter who played an integral role in all of this happening to have a chance to, to speak to the commissioner and deputy commissioner about their decision-making and I'll just say this. I thought the press conference as a whole was disastrous for the NHL. Um, you know, Gary Bettman is a lawyer. Uh, he has a very lawyerly affect. Um, it, it, you know, it, you know, Gary Bettman has this, you know, there, he, you know, he just, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Like his personality is not warm and fuzzy. 
And he can, and, and even in less, you know, less important, less uh, severe situations can come off a bit condescending. And I felt that he did that multiple times over the course of the, of the Zoom press conference. I thought it was a bad look for him. I thought it was a bad look for the NHL. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, I said to somebody, I said to somebody shortly thereafter, I said, if, if you know, there are multiple calls that would need to be made after, uh, after that press conference. But one of my first calls would be to a crisis management PR firm, uh, because I thought they, the way they handled that just was not good. Um, so let, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Uh, but I thought it was a, a poor showing by the NHL, uh, for not letting Rick ask a question until basically being shamed into it. And I just thought the way that Gary presented himself and answered some questions I thought was, 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 you know, irresponsible here. I'll play the role of the crisis management PR firm, Gary, just tell the truth and say, you're sorry. I know there's litigation and who cares the victims deserving of getting some payment, pay the, pay the victim, settle the case, say, you're sorry, admit wrongdoing, and then try to not ever let it happen again. It's not, it's not that complicated. It's just, it's just not that hard. Um, so again, I'm with you. I think it's disastrous. What's really strange for Predators fans is that Gary Bettman has been so integral in like the development and growth and stability of the Preds organization, but like everyone else in the NHL hates him. <laughs> so, so I do find that to be pretty interesting. He does not get booed here like he does in other places. No, like well, Nashville was like his baby. The, the the organization was like his baby for a while, extending hockey into the South and keeping it here in 07. I mean, he was a part of all of that. It, it's just odd because I as a hockey fan, I can't stand the way the guy operates, but I think Predators fans sort of don't have the, the vitriol. So, um, yeah, just tell the truth, guys. Go read the story. Go dive into it. There's reasons all these guys have been fired, and there's a big settlement case, and there's a fine happening, and all this other stuff. There's a reason it's all happening. NHL, just own it, man. Just own it. Fix the problem. Be a leader in this. This is an opportunity for the NHL to be a leader in this kind of stuff. So just own it. Uh, Adam, uh, I don't know if you got any other parting, parting shots or any other comments. No, I think we're we're all settled. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we hit a lot of stuff today. So yes, uh, we've got uh, Vancouver on Friday, Chicago on Sunday. Speaking of, and then uh, Dallas next Wednesday. So uh, we'll be on when, when there's a game on Wednesdays. We'll record on Thursday morning, first thing. So a couple hours delayed uh, on Thursdays when there's a game on Wednesday, which will be the case next week as well. Special thanks to uh, Jasper's and to your wife for showing up on the show today, and to Baby Arlo and the baby and Baby Arlo. Yes. Um, uh, always a pleasure, Adam. Adam Vingan on Twitter. Uh, the Athletic, of course, pay for good journalism. And the, as usual, the gold standard brought to you by Jaspers, where I will be cutting a shoot promo on Stephen Godfrey. Details to follow. Beef. Jaspers has lots of it. And now they got media beef as well. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the product with somebody that likes Predators hockey. This has been the gold standard on the 440 Sports Network.